Miracles do exist. How to change your predictable future. Bobby Kaler's Miraculous. Are you ready to learn how to change your predictable future? Join us on the Wellness Driven Life Show with special guest Bobby Kaler. And she has an inspiring and introspective interview with her. And she shares her miraculous recovery story that proves no matter what life hands you, there is always hope and healing to be found. Get ready to tap into the power of miracles and see just how far you can go. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. I'm so excited to introduce our great guest to you today. Bobby Kaler has been called the lighthouse of positivity in her roles as a podcaster, facilitator, coach, and speaker. She has inspired tens of thousands of people, giving them the spark to imagine new possibilities and try things they never thought possible. She leaves every learner with the gift of hope, knowledge, and assurance that they can be more fulfilled and successful if they choose. Bobby was a consultant, facilitator, and coach to managers and sales professionals in some of the most admired brands in the world, as well as many small and medium-sized companies for 14 years. She has also been a youth leadership program facilitator and a leadership coach for young girls. I'm so excited to welcome Bobby with us here today. Hey, April. It's great to be here. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I am too. And so, I have heard a little of your story, and if people don't know you well and haven't heard it either, 
This is really exciting to share this with our audience here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Now, tell us a little bit before we dive in too deep, but let's get a little bit of background about you. Okay. So I think you covered my biography pretty well. Um, something I would add to it is why I fell in love with coaching and helping other people develop because I grew up as a kid that had severe speech problems. In fact, mm. a speech pathologist told my mom, I would never talk correctly. And when I was in the eighth grade, I thought, well, I am terrified to speak in public. I need to do something about that, you know? Mm. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to take a, a speech class in, in, in high school. So I took a speech class and my teacher was Mr. Jordan, who also happened to be the speech and debate coach for the team, for the school. And I gave my very first presentation and it was terrible. It was an absolute train wreck. And uh, after class, he said, um, you know, Bobby, would you mind sticking around for a few minutes? In April, I thought, oh my God, I've done so bad. He's going to tell me not to come back. <laughs> That's really <laughs> what I thought. But instead he said, have you ever thought of joining the speech and debate team? And I'm like, were you in the room for that presentation? Because it wasn't, it wasn't good. Mm. And he just kind of smiled and he said, yeah, it goes, you know, it, it, it wasn't that great, but he said, you have potential. And he said, with your potential, your work ethic and my coaching, you can be really good at this. Mm. And I went on and I won tournaments and, and, and it took me a while to say yes to joining it. But that experience of having someone who came alongside me and saw something more in me than I could see in myself, that, that has profoundly affected my life. And uh, was, I'm so honored that I had someone like that in my life. Yeah. And I don't think very many of us get that opportunity mm -hmm. or, or so few and far between, and maybe not at the right times or maybe at the right times. But when we have somebody come into our life that, like you said, can see so much more something in us that we can't see ourselves. That's it right. just gives us the, the drive, the motivation, the courage, the confidence to, to explore that. That's right. And, and we need more of that because there's, there's plenty of messages about how we're not enough. You know what I mean? There's not enough messages about how we are enough because we are. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. So you have been speaking for quite a while then. Quite a while. Started in high school, loved it, and, uh, and then... I guess it was in the nineties. I was doing uh, training at a law firm. And then in 2000, I decided to leave all that behind, start my own business, 
um, had no idea how hard that was going to be, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. But speaking became a big part of it because when you're when you're starting a new business one of the best ways to get your message out there is to put yourself out there and do speaking events. So that's what I did. And I, I've, I've just always loved it. I was part of the National Speakers Association for a while, and I got to mentor aspiring speakers. And that was, that was a thrill to get, to help people be able to structure their story and to be able to communicate it well. Mm. I just, I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And that's key, isn't it? Being able to structure that story. I think that's where a lot of the fear comes with yeah. speaking in front of groups is that we don't really feel like we have a, a system approach or like we're going to stumble or not be able to move forward. And everybody's going to be watching. <laughs> Interesting to me that speak, speaking, public speaking is one of the greatest fears we have as human beings. Mm -hmm. One of the bit, I mean, I think it is the biggest, right? I mean, that's, that's I, I believe it is. I, d I don't want to like really, really say that. But I, I think it is per the knowledge that I know, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's only a few innate fears that we have and, you know, two that are, I, I think that, um, we are born with, and that's the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. <laughs> and if you think about it in war zones, like back in the day, they used, you know, the big drums, they made loud noises, bombs make loud noises. And that is, it invokes that fear in us um, against your opponent, right? But I think that public speaking can be one of those things. And I would love to know your opinion that generation after generation throughout history, we kind of developed this fear over it because if we spoke out in so many instances through so many cultures, we were uh, crucified, you know, dang near. We, were, we weren't allowed to speak up and have our voice heard. And so we have that fear. I, I think you're totally right. And, and in many ways, it's risky because you're yeah. putting yourself out there. You're putting, you know, your message, your point of view, you're putting that out there and you can be rejected. But yet at the yeah. same time, have you ever gone, and this is what I always used to tell people, have you ever gone to an event where there was going to be a speaker and you were thinking, man, I hope this person fails? No. <laughs> we're all cheering for the person. I don't even but, think I've thought that for people that I don't even care for. But that's right. no, you don't, you don't mm -hmm. think that. You don't wish that upon someone. No. You want them to do well. If for no other reason, you don't want to sit through a boring presentation. <laughs> you know I mean? Right. Yeah. So it, but it's one of those things, but we, we do feel that way and we think it's all about us. And it's like, no, it's really all, all about the audience. It's about how can I help them? Yeah. And so we just got to switch that orientation a little bit towards I'm here. I have a message I think can help someone else. I had a very uh, good friend tell me once, and it was one of the first times I was going on stage. Now it's different when I'm here in front of a camera with you, even going live, it's different than when you're standing on stage in real life and you have a, this big audience watching you and you're the only person out there. And he said, you know, it's, it's not about you. It's about the message. And what if it's just the one person, one life that you affect and you move and you change and inspire because of what you say? And that really helped me as I went up there because it just gave me more confidence to be like, it's, it's not for me. That's right. And, 
the one person that's such a powerful thing because if if you're there then then that also means that someone is there to hear you someone mm-hmm. in that audience needs to hear what you have to say and if it's only one person it's only one person and that's okay yeah well, Bobby, you were so fortunate to be able to have the, you know, to tune in to start cultivating this muscle, this habit to speak in front of others. And I would think in so many ways where it has brought you today, you've been able to uh, be an influence to so many different people because of that. I hope so. Y- you know, I mean, I get that feedback a lot. Um like you mentioned the youth leadership stuff I used to do. And I absolutely loved that because we had, we had kids from all different kind of backgrounds and, and, and so, and it was, that was the first time I was called the lighthouse of positivity. It was this one young man, his name was Trey and I absolutely love him. And he, he was in high school and he's like, but because he said, we need that. Like we need someone who can share their stories. We need someone who can, who can hold up that positive, like belief for us. So yeah. I think, I think I've been very blessed that way. And, and I treat that as a, uh, it's kind of a sacred commitment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, take that seriously. Even though I have a lot of fun with it, I take that very seriously. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for doing that. I, I love that. I, I always encourage people to speak in front of others, to share their stories. There's so much power in sharing your stories. And again, I'm so excited to hear yours. So I am going to go into our first commercial. And when we come back, let's dive a little into that story because it's very exciting. Stay tuned. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to Kim Jacobs consulting.com. That's Kim Jacobs consulting.com. Did I say Kim Jacobs consulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. Welcome back. I know that we're going to be weaving in the speaking aspect throughout this. And because I know, Bobby, how passionate you are about it. And I feel it's so important. But I want to start learning a little bit about your story. You had this great impact in your life. And if you'd like, you can start with how you feel that that came into life and and, and came up for you to begin with. Oh, that is, uh, it, 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 it was such a, it was such a life-changing thing, you, you know, and, um, a little bit about it, March, uh, March 6th, 2003, I, I woke up and I woke up early cause I had something I was going to do some networking event I was going to, I was doing some, I was a, a director or something and, um, 
I made it into the bathroom and that took like every ounce of strength I had. And over the past several months leading up until that, I had been noticing that I was getting more and more fatigued. And so mm -hmm. I thought it was very clever. And I took a, a kitchen stool into the bathroom and I set it in front of the vanity so that I didn't have to stand up when I was brushing my teeth or washing my face or putting my makeup on. And I had devised this way because um, it was hard for me to sit up too long. And again, that just, it had become my normal. I wasn't really focused on like paying attention. And so that day, March 6th, I get in the bathroom, pull the little kitchen stool over. I put my toothpaste on my toothbrush. I lean forward. So I'm resting my, my, all my weight is resting on my elbows and they're, my, my elbows are resting on the vanity. And I sat there thinking, okay, now all I have to do is raise my forearm so I could brush my teeth and I could no longer raise my forearm. Hmm. And that is when it finally occurred to me, oh, something, something's wrong. Something's <laughs> not right here. You might have a problem. Yeah. So that was- I love how descriptive you are, Bobby, in telling this story. I remember the first time that I heard it, I- I just felt like I was there with you and I, I have an autoimmune disease. So I feel that. And I, and I just, I was like right there with you. You do a very good job at the descriptive aspect and the storytelling that goes along with this. So thank you for sharing it and being vulnerable in that. Thank you. Cause April, it, this was the hardest story for me to, to mm. put like to craft. Yeah. It's like, where do you start? Because in actuality, you know, the collapse was one thing on March 6th, right? Of 2003, hmm. but it probably started a good 10 months beforehand. Like right. there, were, there were signs along the way. Like I couldn't stand up long enough to take a shower. That should have alerted me. Right. right. Yeah. Which but you I said that I, I just, it, it became your normal and you weren't being right. observant of it. Right. I, I wasn't, you know, like. And I was so proud of the fact that because it was, because I was so tired, I found that way, you know, like, oh, I can just lean up against the vanity thinking, well, this is such a great workaround. And it's like, no, you, 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 you shouldn't be this tired, but, but here's something. And I don't, you can probably relate. Maybe your listeners can too, but how many times if we feel tired, do we think, well, yeah, big deal. Everybody gets tired. Right. And we push forward. And, and one of my superpowers before getting sick well, it still is a superpower. I just don't use it as much because it got me into big trouble is I can push through anything. Right. But there's a time and place for that. And there's a time when it's going to, it's going to come back and, and haunt you. And so, you know, that on March 6th, that set off a, well, it, you said it earlier, a 10 year journey. Um, Cause it took, it took about six months to find a doctor who even had a clue of what might be going on. Mm. And his name was uh, Dr. Yeah. Ian. And at that point, he's like, um, based on our early research, he said only, a, only about 3% of the people who have this will experience a full recovery. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I knew I was tired, but I didn't, it was hard to know what we were dealing with. Right. And that's hard to hear. Oh, yeah. 3% experience <laughs> a full recovery? Like, what does that mean? Like, do they survive? Do they just never go back to normal? Uh you know, what does that mean? And what does that mean for me? Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. So this is where I'm a little dense sometimes because I heard that and I'd always been a runner up until getting sick. I was always a runner and I loved running. Mm. And um, so my first, my first question back to him was, okay, but when can I go for a run again? And he's like, <laughs> no, Bobby, he's like, you're not hearing me. He's like, I think you might have to accept that your days of being an athlete are over. Mm. And I'm like, no, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I've always been an athlete. Mm. I will always be an athlete. Yeah. And it was funny that day we went and he gave us a whole bunch of research for us to look through. And it was coming from a very good place. I mean, he, he was, he was amazing. Um, and I remember Rick and I, he, Rick is my boyfriend, then husband. Now we're sitting in our living room when we got home and Rick said, he was, I'm so sorry, this really isn't fair. And, and I remember just thinking, well, I said to him, I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's fair. It is. It just is. And this yeah. is what I have to deal with. And I'll tell you, April, that was one of the best lesson, lessons that I learned because I intuitively knew I did not have the strength or the energy to fight what is. And in the past, oh, wow. I could waste all kinds of time on that. Well, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that. It is. What are we going to do next? Yeah. You know, it's pretty amazing when we are stripped of our energy and that your your thoughts do divert to that or they can. They And I agree with you. I've been there as well where it just is. It, life isn't fair. <laughs> That's right. None of us get out being, you know, you know, scratch free. It, mm -hmm. it just is. And so because of it, now what? And, and how do I respond? Right. Because that's what matters in those moments is how do I respond now? Yeah. You know, there was so much familiarity with your story and myself as well. I too have been a runner in, in various points mm -hmm. throughout my journey. I love to run. So I, I get that also. It's like, okay, when do I get to run again? <laughs> That's right. Because it means something to you. It's important. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So you got this, received this diagnosis. And like you said, this was a 10-year journey Bobby, I'm very curious, were there times where you just felt so completely defeated, like I, I'm not ever going to get better? Or were there times when it was worse and times when it was better? What was, what was it like for you? It was, I never felt defeated. I, I, I don't know, just lucky, I guess. Um, well, no, I, a lot of that's my mindset on things like that. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when it got a lot worse and there were times where, you know, like I could, I could get out of bed, um, there, and maybe, you know, early on that didn't happen very much. Like my boyfriend, Rick, um, at the time I was always the one that cooked dinner and we were, I don't know, three or four weeks in and he, and he brought the home phone up and cause I was still lying in bed. And he said, well, we have to have something to eat other than hamburgers and pizza. And he goes, that's all I know how to make. So he's like, you're going to have to talk me through this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And we had fun though. Like, cause we said, we are not going to put our happiness on hold because mm. we don't know what the future is going to look like. Right. You know? So, but here's the other thing. When he said the thing about the 3%, so many people have asked me, well, why didn't that discourage you? And the first mm. person who ever asked me that, he was a friend of mine, Paul. And, I, and it took me a minute. I remember I just sat there and I looked at him. I'm like, that's not what I heard. 
I heard 3% would. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I, I passionately believe that there's always a way forward. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, that means that 3% have that answer. Either they do or their doctors do. And now I have to find, I have to find one of those people. And it took, so that was August of 2003. It took 14 months or so before we found a doctor who finally said what I wanted to hear. And she goes, I've treated it. I've treated it successfully. It's not a fast recovery, but you can get well. And um, I remember that was, I was almost euphoric, except, um, oh, April, what I said next to her was great. You tell me what to do and I can do it because I can push through anything. And she looked at me for a very long second or a minute. And she's like, that's exactly what got you sick. And what got you sick will not get you well. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> oh, I like this doctor. I need to get her name. <laughs> she was amazing. She was absolutely amazing. But yeah, so what was that? 14, 16 months, 18 months into the whole thing before I found someone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that you kept searching and you didn't uh, stop. Here's something really important about that too, because by the time her name was Dr. Barb, by the time I found her, I'd been to, I don't even know how many doctors, because the doctor, Dr. Ian, he told me, he's like, there's nothing Western medicine can do for you. Mm. And I'm like, well, now what? Like, I don't even know what to do. And so we'd found, you know, all these different doctors, nothing helped. And then a friend of mine, she told me about Dr. Barb and I was talking to Rick about it. And I'm like, what's the point? And he's like, what if it's the person who has the answer? Mm. And it still makes me a little emotional because I think, oh my God, I almost stopped one answer short. Yeah. Because she was the one that, you know, she was a natural uh, allopathic or naturopath, I guess is what she was. And it was, it was amazing to find someone who said, I've seen it. I know how to treat this and you can be well again. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, the words that people say, the words that we say are so empowering, meaningful, mm -hmm. or detrimental. That's and right. we, we take them into a belief. We, we believe what people say if they're in this position of authority, whether it be medical or, or what have you. And we just believe it to be true. And so, but there are other possibilities when we continue on the search. And it sounds to me like you have this incredible spouse who's so <laughs> supportive and just uplifting and you know wants to have fun and wants to encourage and i love that i call those power couples i've got one of those and th i just i love that it, it makes such a big difference and yeah the thing so rick and i we weren't even engaged yet when, when all this happened and i remember the day after Dr. Ian, you know, told us about the 3%, we were in, I, I was upstairs in the bedroom and Rick came in and I'm like, Hey, I, I want, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, I know that you have not, you didn't sign up for this. And I said, so if, if this is too much, I understand. Mm. I said, if you, if you want to walk away, I understand. And I, and, and I meant that from the bottom of my heart. And, you know, luckily he, he, you know, he gave me a big hug and he's like, oh no, no, because we're in this together. And he said, we'll find a way to have fun and to be happy, but we'll figure this out together. 
And so you're absolutely right. I mean, to have someone like that in your corner, because I remember one time, April, I gave a presentation in the illness, you know, I was talking about the illness and there was a man in the audience and afterwards he came up and he was in tears. His wife, his, his ex-wife had gone through something similar, not exactly the same, but similar. And he said, I, I, I just couldn't take it. And he said, I walked mm -hmm. away and wow. he, that was like 10 or 15 years later. And he was still like overcome. Like he's, why did I, why didn't I stand by her? But it, but it's not an easy thing. I mean, yeah, it's not easy, but right. I was lucky. Yeah. Our relationships with people and, and the ones, like you said, who are in our corner make a big yeah. difference. I, I really push the idea and thought that the importance of community is mm -hmm. really, really strong. And we have each other for a reason and we need each other. Mm -hmm. We really do. And I don't know how it was for you, but you know, one of the best ways to describe how I was feeling, it was like having a chronic, really bad case of mono continually. Mm. And some, some of our friends were amazing. And it was really interesting. Some of our acquaintances, they were the ones that really stepped up. Like, there was one person that, that I met like only once or twice and he'd bring by homemade soup because he was a chef and it was amazing. It was the best split pea and ham soup I've ever had in my entire life. And it was amazing. But I'm like, this guy's barely like he was an acquaintance. It, and then some of the, some of the people that were really close friends, they weren't there. And I remember mm -hmm. one thing, like I was supposed to go to, it was a friend of mine. This was, this was a few years in. She was having a 4th of July picnic. And I said, you know, we'd love to be, as a barbecue. And I said, we'd love to be there. And I said, but, but you know, the situation I could wake up that morning and not be able to lift my head up off the pillow. If that happens, I can't come to your barbecue. Mm -hmm. And it was bad luck, but I woke up that 4th of July and I could barely sit up. And she, and, and so I, ha I had to call her and I said, you know, I, I'm really sorry. We can't make it. And she's like, we can't be friends anymore. Wow. And I'm like, I'm not like, this is a, this is real, you know, but, but, but that we, some people had that reaction. Yeah. And it was just too, it was too much to deal with. Yeah. And maybe it's scary. You know, I had, I had someone on my show and she was a breast cancer survivor and she talked about how she had some friends who were there with her th through thick and thin and others were like, it's just too real for me.
Bobby, we were talking about your incredible journey. And if you recall where we left off. Yeah, we, I, I was just talking about, well, we were talking about community. And yeah. you were saying how sometimes people are really there for you. And sometimes it's surprising which people are there. Yeah. And then other times, some people, you know, they're, they're not there for whatever reason. And yeah, just letting go of the, uh, any kind of an attachment I had like, well, they should have been here. Well, it's, they need to do what they need to do. And, and that's, that's okay. You know, one way I, I like to say it is, and this is true. It's so true. Isn't it? When we have things happen in life and, and life changes, um, we show up differently and people don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to address it. Even when it comes to success, I have found whether it's something where things aren't going well or success, any sort of greater change where we now are forced to show up differently, be differently, and either people are in or in or out. But one of the best ways I like to describe that is that we are all on our own journey. And it's going to be at different times, but our souls are here to learn and to grow. And we have to do that in our own timing. That's right. It's a hundred percent right. And that's something I don't think I understood when I was younger, but I've come to understand it more and more over yeah. the years. Just like you've probably had this too. Like, you know, like in my, in my twenties and early thirties, like so, some of the friends I had then, like they were like best friends. And, and then at, at a point in you, you kind of drift, sometimes you drift out of it, yeah. their, each other's lives and other friends are there with you forever. But that doesn't mean that even though they've drifted out, that they weren't great friends at the time. It's just, Absolutely. yeah, just different journeys and that's okay. Yeah. Okay. I like to tell my daughters, I, I have three. I like to tell them you should have many friends and you just have friends for different reasons. You have the friend that you go shopping with. You have the friend that you share your deepest, darkest secrets to, and you have the friend that you run with or what have you. But we have it's good to have many people in our lives and for different reasons. And that's okay. Yeah it takes away the pressure, right? Of having one person who's supposed to be everything. everything. Yeah. That's a lot. It's, it's too much, it's too much <laughs> even for us to be able to show up that way or provide that. I mean, just when we talk about relationships, we're not always at our best. We just simply can't be because we're human. And so, you know, being able to accept all of somebody else, good or bad, like the marriage vows. Right. And, mm -hmm. And we, we just have to either accept that or not. Right. I mean, cause like you said, we're not always at our best. That's one thing. Right. And then there's the, you know, some people, if you find, I had a coach once tell me this, um, cause I had, I had a really good habit of attracting, or I guess maybe a bad habit of attracting the wrong people into my life. This is in my late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember her, her name was Marie. And I'm like, am I attracting all this? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, how am I doing that? And she's like, cause you're not aware. She's mm. like, you need to think about what are your values? And she had me, it was really great. She mm. had me make out a red and yellow list. And so red were those things that if someone exhibited these qualities, like that was kind of a deal breaker. That was the stop. And she said, and those are, those are way easier. The yellow list is the sneaky list because those are things like one or two of those things won't bother you but it's when they add up that they start to bother you. Mm. 
it was one of the best exercises I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah, absolutely. How profound. And I, I mean, when, if you're talking about a friendship relationship or an intimate relationship, those are really good things to think about. Yeah. It, it I'd never ever done anything like that. And it was like, but once you do it, then you start to spot it very quickly. Like, oh, yeah, this is not going down a path I want to go on. And that's okay. It learns what to be aware of. Absolutely. I know there's a lot of relationship uh, exercises that you can do when you've gone through so many relationships and they didn't work out. And you come to this point where you're like, I just want to get it right. And what is it that I really want? And what is it that I don't want? And to really start being clear and intentional on that and to start thinking about it. But that's essentially exactly what you did was you started thinking about it. What is it that I'm noticing that I don't care for and what do I care for? And to start thinking about that as your days go on or as you interact with others. Right. And okay. So me being me, I couldn't just leave it as a red and yellow. I had to add in a green, <laughs> you know? but, but it was important, I think, because one of the things that I added on my green list was I want someone in a relationship, you know, and that can be a friendship or, you know, a, a partner that is willing to grow with me mm. and is willing to like talk about the, the undiscussables, the things that are hard to talk about. And that was, that was really yeah. important because yeah. if you're growing together, that's a journey and that's a path. Like I, I had had some relationships with people who they didn't want to grow. They wanted to stay exactly the same. And that's never going to be, never going to be compatible with, with me. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it was always like, well, why can't you just be like you used to be? Because I've grown past that, you know? Yeah. So that, that was something really important to me that, that I was on my green list. I wonder, Bobby, if if people who have really healed themselves and put that desire that that they don't want whatever has been given to them to define them and that they're going to move forward. I think that this innate lifelong learner grower has to be a part of you. Would you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred and think about it, even with the speech problems, right? Mm. That, that was part of it. And then a little, you know, my, I had, I had amazing parents. My mom was, I would say one of the best people you could, I mean, she was amazing on her good days. She also had some psychological issues and she was never officially diagnosed, mm. but the doctors I've spoken with, as I, you know, I'm trying to make sense of it, they believed that she was what was called known as a functioning schizophrenic. Which and she had deep, deep paranoia. Like wow. when planes flew overhead, she was convinced someone was spying on her, and she'd call the police. I'm like, Mom, they're just—it's just the flight pad. There's no one spying on you. Yeah. And so when she had her bad days, it was very abusive. Mm. And so it took me, you know, my, into my twenties to really process all that, you know, because that's a lot to overcome. And I think that also led into that whole lifelong learner and grower, because I think I had to be, I had, I had so much to, to process and, and to understand about my journey and also myself, because here's the thing, I would never wish that on anyone else. And yet those experiences also made me uniquely me. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you were forced to think in a certain way because mm -hmm. of your surroundings and your environment and the people that you were interacting with, your mom. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that when we have people come into our lives like that, it, you know, we have the choice to either fall into that and mirror that and become mm -hmm. that or like that. And we have the choice that we want to be the opposite of. And, yes. and it can ten, tend to, the tendency is to be one or the other, and maybe even an extreme of one or the other when you're dealing with an extreme personality. And I wonder, Bobby, what do you think? Do you feel that that had a play in how the, the speech aspect of your childhood? Hmm with it i don't think it had i don't think that that had much to i think it was the way i was hearing things and that was like it wasn't a stress response the, the speech problems in fact this was one of the times when my mom was at her most amazing because when the speech pathologist told us the diagnosis that i'd have catastrophic speech problems my mom hugged me and she whispered in my ear and she's like we're not going to listen to him mm. she's like you never let someone else tell you what you can or cannot do and she worked alongside me for years. And actually one of the greatest lessons that came out of that, uh, I would struggle. Like I would, I would, I remember one, I couldn't say the word milk of all things. I mean, there were a lot of words I couldn't say, could not say that word. And I was struggling with it, struggling with it. And I'm like, I can't say it. And she's like, no, you can't say it yet. Yes. Yet is one of the most powerful words in the English language. Right. Right. Because what it implies is yeah. keep working because you can't. And obviously I can now, but that was, but that was one of the, 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 what I learned from her during that process is that's one of the things where I say she was amazing. Yeah. You know, Bobby, your mom definitely had some brilliance in there. Absolutely. And I tell you what, when I learned how to switch that, that wording, um, I can't do that to, I can't do that yet and really start integrating that in my thoughts and in my speech and how I talk. And it, it truly does open your, uh, it just expands the possibilities of the limited beliefs into, uh, I can, and it's going to happen at some point if I choose to, to develop that. That's right. And so part of my graduate degree, I had to study a little bit of neuroscience. Thank goodness. It was only a little bit. <laughs> it was like, what? But, um, part of why that works, just like believing when I said earlier, there's always a way forward. When we say things like that, or when we believe, you know, in the word yet, we're actually triggering in our brains that they start to, our brain will start to look for, well, what, what is a possibility? What is another option? Versus if you say, if you say to yourself, there's no way forward, we just ended the conversation because mm -hmm. our brain's not going to scan for it. It's not going to look for it. We're not going to look for it. So there's so much power in something that simple. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very cool. I, I love that. We're going to go into another commercial. And when we get back, I can't wait to hear, Bobby. I want to hear more about what are some of the things that you did during that 10-year span where you were very ill? What were some of the things 
that you learned, some of the biggest lessons that came to you that you were able to start to understand and start to heal. Stay tuned. Bella Grace Skincare. It's more than skincare. It's your shortcut to a more youthful, healthy, and beautiful you. Step one, cleanse with the Enzyme Collagen Cleanser. Gently exfoliates and removes dead skin cells, brightens and evens out skin tones, repairs damage caused by environmental stressors, protects skin's barrier function. Use daily for clean, smooth, glowing skin. Experience the Bella Grace Enzyme Collagen Cleanser for a refreshing start and a radiant finish. Step two, treat with the Dewy Serum. Deeply hydrates and locks in moisture. Protects from free radical damage. Targets multiple signs of aging. Boosts microcirculation. Revealing a youthful, radiant, dewy complexion. Dewy Serum goes beyond ordinary skincare, leading you to a realm of glowing, rejuvenated beauty. Step three replenish with the Collagen Plumping Moisturizer. Reduces fine lines and wrinkles. Deeply hydrates. Boosts collagen production. Firms and smooths the skin. Experience an intense surge of moisture that leaves your skin feeling supple and soft to the touch. Celebrate your skin and elevate your beauty with Bella Grace Skin Care. can learn more about Bella Grace in the description below. Now, coming back to you, Bobby, you have this awesome, awesome journey, long journey, or some people might consider that. I really want to go back to what your, the naturopath that you found, what she had said to you. And she said, uh, you know, getting through anything, pushing through anything is not necessarily the answer because that's what got you here in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so is there something specific about that you you're curious about? No, I just think that it's very profound. I, and mm-hmm. I know this, but you know, so much of my journey has been learning to slow down mm-hmm. and it is in the increasing of the heart rate where it's that stress response that creates dis-ease in the body. And when we're constantly living in that state of, of high anxiety, high heart rate, and we're not intentional about slowing down, then that's when we get to that point. So I just love that she said that to you. I think it's very, again, profound for people to hear that, to start understanding. What was that like for you? Oh, (laughs) at first it was terrifying. Because like I said, that was my superpower. And, and so to, 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 to be in this like a, a, a serious fight, right, to get better, and then to say, well, your superpower is gone, that was like, wait a minute, well, then <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And, but in, on, the, you know, on the other hand, I, th- I say, I, w- I would think that it led to some of the best learning that I had to do because right. 
I had to become more self-compassionate. I had to give myself more grace. And those were things that um, like never occurred to me <laughs> to do Yeah, because that's how to overcome so many things. And so that, that, that was a huge, you were asking before the break about learning it, it, things. Those were, that was a huge lesson for me. Like, and I remember too, when, before getting sick, I'd wake up and I think, Oh, what, 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 what can I get done today? What can I get done today? And I always prided myself on, I got a lot of things on my to-do list and I can get anything done. Yeah. And then after I got sick and specifically when she said that to me, I was like, okay, so if I can get out of bed today, if I can only do one thing, what is the most important thing that I do? And I still use that even though I'm not sick anymore and I'm super healthy and I'm, you know, I can cycle mountain passes now. I still use that because it's such a great way to be strategic with what is most important for me to work on. It's not most important for me to do everything. What is most important? And so that, that was a gift out of that. One of them. Ah, I love that. What is one thing I can do today? If it's one, I know a lot of people will talk about threes or, but I, I really like that you use one because if we can at least get something accomplished, that's a win. And I, um, I listened to a friend of mine speak on, on stage once, and he had talked about if you can just make it to the next meal. Sometimes our days are so hard to where it's difficult to feel like you can make it to anything. But if you have a goal to meet, like that one thing today, or if I can make it to the next meal, then that's an accomplishment. And it's small, bite-sized things that we can do and to move forward. And that's so important because we, we can all take a small action. Instead of thinking we have to do everything all at once. That's huge. I love that. Yeah. So self-compassion was another thing that you said and mentioned is mm -hmm. something that you had to learn. And I know that that plays a big piece when, you know, that self-compassion plays a big piece where we can have the grace and the just slow down with ourselves to accept that one accomplishment, right? When you're used to doing so much all the time, like you had said, it, it takes a great deal of self-compassion to be able to hold yourself back and be okay with it. A tremendous amount. And the other thing I would say is that it's also recognizing, you know, we all have the inner critic. Yep. And recognizing that voice and saying, that's not truth. Ah. You know, because... The inner critic is very quick to point out, you know, how we're wrong, that we're wrong, where we're coming up short, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? It's yeah. someone described it once as a crazy sportscaster who is just trying to fill the air, <laughs> like shouting at us all the time. And I believe that's true. That's but a good a, way to describe really it. it. But, but, but getting in touch with, and we have what, what we know from um, positive intelligence, PQ for short, we have, we all have an inner judge. And the judge judges us, judges others, and judges circumstances. And that and that character is always active. Um, yeah. So getting familiar with that. But there's also nine accomplice saboteurs that we mm. all have. Well, we have we don't all have the same ones. We have different ones. Um, but getting familiar with what is that judge in my head? 
And, and, and if the judge is like, oh, you should have been doing more today. Well, no, that's not truth. That is inner dialogue that's not serving me. So becoming yeah. aware of it, intercepting it and redirecting it. That, that was part of it. And then yeah. to, I think I just did that intuitively. I don't think it was anything I knew at the time. <laughs> now I can go back and say, oh, now I know why it works. But that was just something that I didn't have the energy to fight it. It's like, no, yeah. just shut up. I'm done <laughs> with that kind of talk. Yeah. Well, you're really being forced to. I mean, your your body has forced you to slow down, to yeah. you know, take it easy. And um, so many of us that that's the thing, right? Where we become ill because we're push, 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 go, go, go. And um, and then it comes to the time because we're not thinking or being conscientious of, you know, that, yeah, if we keep pushing ourselves continuously, it, we're, we're going to fall. Nobody wants to admit to that, that that is a reality, but that's exactly how our bodies are designed. They're not designed to, to be in that high stress, uh, high heart rate, go, 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 go. Eventually they slow down and they tell you, your body tells you, if you just listen to it, to that you need to stop and you need something to change. You need to listen. And I'm so glad you brought that up. That was, this is still probably the hardest part of the whole journey to talk about. Hmm. It, it was so hard because I had always been the person that could, could push through anything and I could achieve anything I set my mind to and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so this was two, two plus year. It was, it was, um, what, June of 2005. So more than two years into it. And I'd been kind of like getting a little bit better and then I'd backslide a little bit better backslide. And we were getting married, Rick and I in August of 2005. And I remember being at Dr. Barb's office and I was still trying to keep the business going. And she said to me, she's like, um, she's like, you need to quit the business. And I said, um, I don't quit. Like I I've never quit on anything in my life. I don't quit. And she's like, Bobby, I'm going to make this really, really simple for you. She said, you can either quit the business or put it on hold. However you want to think about it, or you will not be alive to see your wedding. And I remember just sitting there in her office, April. And I thought, okay, uh, mm. you can't, you can't, you can't ignore that message because you were saying how we need to start listening to our bodies. I yeah. should have been listening to my body, but I was, I just, I was so stuck on that old belief I had that I don't quit. And that was, that's still the day that, because I remember I wasn't even well enough to drive myself to, to, the, to the appointment. And so Rick was downstairs and there was a Starbucks next door. So we went next door and we got tea because I couldn't even drink coffee. And, um, cause it was too hard on me. And I'm, and I, and I told Rick what she had to say. And he's like, then, then that's it. Then you better do it. <laughs> there, <laughs> there is no other option, yeah. like, but that's what it took because yeah. now I've become, this was, and then shortly after that, we moved back from Portland, back to Chicago. And I had another doctor. Amazingly, he was also someone incredibly well-versed in what I had, his, his Dr. E. And I remember talking to him as I was starting to get better. And I'm like, I'm petrified. I'm so afraid I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to relapse and get sick mm -hmm. again. And he's mm -hmm. like, 
No. He's like, because Bobby, he goes, now you've been gifted with awareness and you've learned how to listen to your body. Yeah. And if I'm even a little bit tired and we all get tired, right? But it's like, no, there's a different kind of tired. What's like, no, no, no. Your body is telling you, you need to take, here's a revolutionary idea. Take a nap. <laughs> you know, take a 20 minute nap and you'll feel better. But, but now I'm, I'm so in tune with what is my body telling me? Mm. Bobby, how do you do that? How do you listen to your body? That is a good question. Um, I try to be really present with number one, how, how, how shallow is my breathing? Right. If I'm, if I'm in shallow breathing, there's something going on, right? Hmm. It, that could be stress. It could be anything, but where's my breathing? That's number one. For me, a key indicator is how my legs feel. Hmm. If my, if I start to feel like, if I start to feel fatigue in my legs, I know that that's where I'm going to feel it first. That's a sign like, oh. And now, um, on Sunday I did my weight workout and I'd been increasing my weight. And then we went for a long bike ride and I, and I was like, I was riding harder than usual. So I go back and I'm like, darn, I'm tired. And Monday, uh, I was still a little bit, a little bit tired. And I think that wasn't because I was sick or anything. It was just, I'd had two hard workouts. And right. so instead of saying, I'm going to go play pickleball, it's like, no, my body's telling me to rest, to rest Yeah, and making it okay to rest. I mean, mm-hmm. part of being part of when you're, when you're training and, and you're an athlete, whatever is you need rest days. Yeah. Because otherwise that's how you get injured. Yeah. You know, so, so those are kind of my, I, I pay attention to my breath. Is it shallow or am I breathing deeply and how do my legs feel? If, mm-hmm. if, I, if those just happen to be my two points, you know, right. Where, where I think I feel the signals the strongest. Yeah. And it's going to be different for everyone, except for the breathing part is, is I think probably for all of us, right. Is when we start to notice that the breathing is, it's not where it should be. Uh, But I, I, again, I understand that aspect as an athlete. I too always want to push myself and I, I can be that extremist where I feel like, if, if I just keep pushing and keep going, then I'm going to be better, but our bodies do have to rest and you have to allow that and to be grateful for what you did do and did accomplish because the fact that we can go out and we can move it to such a, to such a length is a win, especially if you've been in a position where you haven't been able to do that in the past. And to remember that. And I think that's something that's very powerful about uh, our memory that we can utilize for our benefit to remember there was a point when I couldn't do this. And because I was able to do this, that's a win. It's a huge win, right? And to let go of the competition, maybe with other people, like when I'm out road cycling, especially when I first started, I mean, oh my God, I couldn't even ride a mile when I first started. Um, after the illness, but then people would pass me whenever to be like, Hey, but you know what? They didn't have the same starting place that I did. I just love that you did that, Bobby, that you just (laughs) kept getting out there. Now you have described a little bit about, you know, um, 
you just would start walking as far as you could each and every day. And when you could start biking, you went just a little bit. And like you just said, there was people surpassing me numerous times, but yet you kept getting out there. You kept putting feet on the ground, foot on the pedal and kept moving forward. That's the only way. So it took me, oh my gosh, I think it was two years in or so. No, not quite that much, maybe 18 months. It was shortly after with Dr. Barb and, and she's like, okay, I think you're stable enough now. You can get out and go for a walk. And she's like, you cannot go for a run. And she's <laughs> like, but I need you to pay attention to your body. Your mm. body's going to tell you when you're going too far. Like, cause it was, it was um, in November or December. So it was really cool outside. And she's yeah. like, when you start sweating excessively, when you're walking or you feel your muscles begin to twitch and shake, you've gone too far. My mm. first walk was to the end of the driveway. It was a 30 foot driveway. And I'm like, okay, that's what I could do today. And tomorrow, maybe I can take two extra steps. And it seemed like, it can seem like, oh my God, that's going to take a long time. But that is why now I can cycle mountain passes because I kept doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I didn't start by cycling a mountain pass that that was how I celebrated the 10 year anniversary of being told I'd, I wouldn't be an athlete. I could never be an athlete anymore. Um, but I'd trained for that. Like I started training months in advance. Like, you know, this is how I'm going to celebrate it. And I learned about the course route and everything. And uh, I'll never forget the day when I did it. And I had the, the, what I had going through my head is that music from, uh, from Rocky going to fly now. That mm -hmm. was the music through my head as I was getting closer and closer to Love the summit. That. It was Vail Pass. You know, Vail Pass is over 10,000 feet. That's hard for anyone to do. Yeah. And um, that was just, that's still one of my, my best memories. You know, and I've, I've done a lot of other mountain passes since then, but, but it starts with, what can I do today? Can I get out there and can I, can I do one thing? Can I, can I go for that short walk or, you know, whatever it might be, but, you know, we, we sometimes put such we put such great pressure on ourselves. Mm. And this is something that this was kind of a little mechanism I came up with for myself. Um, you know how it, and I, I love doing home renovation projects. So at the Home Depot, they have the good, better, best, like this is good. This is better. This is a better, pro you know, the, the good, better, best. So I thought I'm going to use that for when, it, when I'm like personal things. So mm. if, if good is I go out for a walk and maybe best would be if I could go for a run, I don't want to make it an all or nothing. Like, well, if I can't go for a run, I'm not going to do anything because there's no progress. So I got comfortable saying, Hey, if good is going for a walk and that's all I can do today, that's good. So yeah. let's do it. But that, that, that took some work. That, that was mm. one of the things I had to let go of that attachment to, well, I used to be able to go for a run for eight miles every other day, blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter. What can I do today? Because yeah. that's how I'm going to get better. Because if I didn't do anything, nothing was going to change. That's what I also knew. Right. Ah, so cool. And here you are today and you look incredible and you're doing all of the things and you made it. And now you're impacting so many other people. I want to make sure people know where to find you to learn more because you have your own podcast, you're speaking, you're really shining so much light on all of the things that you've experienced as well as other people's stories. So 
You can reach Bobby at www.bobbykaler.com. That's B-O-B-B-I-K-A-H-L-E-R for those of you who are listening in. And Bobby, just briefly, I would love to know, because I, I, I have a little bit of time with you, but some of the thoughts that come to mind when we talk about relationships, you've had this incredible journey with your now husband, and he's been such a massive support for you, but you've gone through this um, extreme lifestyle and where you weren't able to be very active at all to where now you're thriving. What has it been like for that within your relationship? You know, and, and what I mean by that is sometimes when we're in a relationship and our partner can only do so much or so little, you know, we can make the choice to go out and do our own thing and be active on our own or to not. Now, I'm curious, I don't know if he is active with you now today, but what has that been like between you two on this journey? Yeah. Well, first of all, Rick is five years younger than I am. And he is an incredible athlete. Like he's probably one of the top two athletes I know personally. Um, so he is incredibly gifted at, 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 at pretty much anything he decides to do. And so at first I was like, man, I'm keeping him from doing these things. And mm. so uh, there was a lot of time, like first couple of years where he didn't do very much because I needed so much help. But then it's like, okay, well, he can still go for his runs and he can do his stuff. But then the other thing we did is we always looked for what can we do together? Like, and when I was first, you know, early on in the recovery, it was, well, because we were in Portland and we're like, well, we'll take a drive. We'll drive around Mount Hood. If I feel well enough, we'll go for a hike. Most generally I didn't. So we had to, sit, you know, see it from the car. And then when I was able to start walking more, because he, he's, he plays ultimate Frisbee. He's went to nationals many, many times. And so we said, well, we could play disc golf, you know, Frisbee golf, because you're walking. It's not very strenuous, but it's something we can do together. And then we started biking together. And at first, God, I was in bad shape, but he would ride with me. And then at a point there, I'm like, well, I know you want to ride farther and you probably want to ride faster than what I can do. So we just made it okay that like he'd go for part of the way with me and maybe he'd go on the rest of the ride by himself. And then he'd catch mm -hmm. up with me or something like that. And like, we do a lot of Nordic skiing. That is, that is my thing, cross-country skiing. That's why we have our place in Colorado. So I can go skiing. Like I usually get around one day, I got up to 97 days of cross-country skiing. It was so amazing. Yeah. You're um, talking my love language here. Oh, I yeah. love <laughs> cross-country skiing. Um, but we do the same thing there. Like, Hey, sometimes we ski together. Sometimes we don't, we didn't, we didn't make any kind of rigid rules about, well, we have to ski together or we're never going to ski together. It was just like, what works for both of us mm. on any given day? That was always like, but, but I don't know. I, I, our, we, we talk about it all the time. Our partnership, like we feel so blessed. Yeah. But, you know, that is so rare, Bobby. I, I am almost, yeah. I'm, I feel very certain in saying that, that how rare of a relationship that is. And, you know, like you came into contact with that gentleman that was in tears because he had left his partner and he felt this immense amount of guilt. And it's because, you know, we, we feel set back. Like, mm -hmm. like you are, we start blaming or whatever, because, 
you know, somebody else is in a situation and it affects us too. And so to have somebody that's able to go along that journey with you and still feel empowered to still do the things that they want to do or not, but be okay with it is not a commonality, I would say. I don't think it's common at all. I mean, it was just, but that's, we've always been very dedicated to our partnership. And yeah. even though we're both, we can both be competitive. I was always a very competitive person, way more than Rick. Um, but we, <laughs> we made a commitment early on that it's never about him winning or me winning. If It's about the partnership winning. Mm -hmm. The partnership was always first. Always. And that's just, that's the way that we've approached things. And the other thing that I'd say on that is we've always looked at it from like, when we do hit like, because like anybody, you're going to have arguments, whatever, but it's always like, okay, how do we co-create this? Because nothing, or I shouldn't say nothing. It is rare that it's ever a hundred percent on one person. Usually you co-create it somehow. So be able to yeah. come to the table and say, okay, this is, this is, this is how I contributed. It invites the other person to say, yeah, and this is how I contributed too. So we're, we're blessed. And, and we, 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 we know that in that regard. Yeah. Well, Bobby, uh, it has been such an absolute pleasure to have you on the show to share your journey, your story. Uh, if you'd like to take this time to share whatever else you'd like to with the audience and the what is next, what is it that you're doing now? What's next for you? Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I, one, I just want to reiterate something that I said, and that is there is always, always a way forward. And so if there's only one thing that people take away, that would be it. Like there's always a way forward and just keep looking for that. And in coaching, we say that the answer is somewhere. And that means that it doesn't have to come from us. Like I knew when I was sick, I didn't have the answer, but mm -hmm. I knew the answer was somewhere. Yeah. So stay dedicated to finding that. Um, as far as what's next, I am really focused on, on the podcast and on speaking. I am... I've cut back on my coaching somewhat because I feel like I can have a broader reach uh, through, because in coaching, as much as I love it, it's, it's only one person at a time. Mm. And I feel like this might sound weird, but I feel like I was given this experience so that I could help more people. And so that's what I'm focused on now is how can I, how can I get that message out more? And I feel like the podcast and speaking and guesting on podcasts, I, I feel like that's that's kind of the key right now. So that's my focus. I don't think that's weird at all. <laughs> I would say that yeah, you're spot on. I, I think that we absolutely are given the experiences that we are in order to impact other people yeah. on their journey. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you agree because it's like that's just what I feel. So I'm I'm glad I'm glad we we can agree on that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Bobby, for being a guest on the show. And again, I want to reiterate where people can find you. That's www.bobbykaler.com. I'll put that up here one more time. And also for those of you tuning in, you can always find that information in the description below. You can find her social media handles as well as her website learn more about her, listen to her podcast. I know that she has incredible guests like we do here. So, so much to look forward to, so much to learn, so much to grow from. 
So thank you again for being a guest on the show, Bobby. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've absolutely loved it. My pleasure. And for everyone else, goodbye for now. We will see you later.